Hello and welcome back to another episode of Locked on Spartans. It is Tuesday, June 23rd. The year is 2020. I am your host, Will Hunter. Thanks so much for joining us on another episode of Locked on Spartans. Sheehan's not here yet. He's here, but I'm recording this after the fact. We've got uh, an awesome show for you guys today. We had the pleasure of being joined by Anthony Ianni, uh, a former Michigan State walk-on whose journey is just absolutely incredible, a great story. Anthony was the first Division I athlete with a public autism diagnosis, the first Division I athlete with autism, and he did that at Michigan State, and that is just something really cool, uh, something to be proud of as it relates to uh, being a part of Michigan State, and he joined us uh, for a great conversation. He's got a book coming out, a memoir centered uh, in the fall of 2021. He's a motivational speaker and is doing all kinds of incredible things and has uh, an amazing story and uh, some really interesting, funny things from his time growing up, his time at MSU, and just everything in between. So that is going to be what we have for you today and on uh, the episode I believe we're going to run it Wednesday, yeah, dude. Today, Tuesday, and Wednesday, episode three this week, will be both with Anthony Iani. We'll break it up into two parts because it's a long, wide-ranging interview. So that's the plan for today's show. Reminder to rate, review, subscribe to the podcast. You can find Locked on Spartans wherever you get your podcasts. Let's not waste any more time. Let's get to our interview. All right, we are really genuinely excited to be joined by our next guest, and I hope uh, you guys are too. We are now joined by Anthony Iani, former basketball player at Michigan State, uh, a fan favorite, if I'm remembering correctly. Legend, uh, yes. <laughs> like just <laughs> Michigan State basketball has the be- most beautiful soft spot in their hearts for walk-ons. And Anthony, you were one of the cream of the crop uh, with that one. And so we are super excited to have you on the show. And thanks for joining us. How are you doing today? Doing good, guys. Uh, you know, just trying to stay uh... – trying to stay safe and healthy during this interesting time we're in, but you know, nothing like spending time with uh, my wife and my kids uh, during the time we're in. So I'm definitely not complaining. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, We're all getting to know our families a little bit better, which is a nice uh, silver lining to all this. So Anthony is joining us uh, for a number of reasons, but you have an upcoming memoir that we're going to jump into a little bit. And if you guys don't know, Anthony is uh, the first Division one athlete with autism, and he played right here uh, with Michigan State, and that's absolutely awesome. So we're going to talk to him a little bit about his journey with autism growing up, turning to basketball, and just all the things that went into that. But I want to start with your memoir here. So this I, I read on Twitter when you tweeted it out. You've been working on it. It's called Centered for two years. It's been a process, and the publishing game is a grind. Um, why did you want to get this out there in book form and just what is it all about? So I wanted to get it out there because, you know, I, I talk about how it was like two years in the making, but in all honesty, it was probably a good seven years because right around the year 2013, uh, when I was going into schools and conferences and doing my presentations and on anti-bullying and autism, I had a lot of people say to me, you know, you should really look into doing an autobiography. You should really look into writing a book or a memoir. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it was always in the back of my mind. And I was just like, I don't know, I'm going to do it. You know, I'm you know, I'm getting married or I just got married. And, you know, my wife and I want to start a family. So I don't know mm-hmm. when I'm going to have time to do all this, and especially with the schedule I have. 
as a speaker, being on the road at least, you know, at most five days a week, you know, going to different towns, different schools, different states. And it's like, when am I going to have time to do all this? And so, um, but it wasn't until, you know, a couple of years ago when I got together with uh, Rob Keast. Uh, Rob is the, um, he is the cousin to my middle school, my middle school resource room teacher's husband. So it's her husband's cousin. So there's a little bit of connection there. So yeah. he, he and I got together a couple of years ago and I kind of told him about, you know, what I wanted to do, talk about how, you know, I wanted my memoir to be about my story from when I was born to my diagnosis, talking about all the different social issues I had overcome as a kid, all the different bullying I had overcome and, you know, make my way through Okemos High School, how I made it through there, what my high school coaches did for me, talk about some of the great teammates I had in Okemos, and then how I got to Grand Valley State, and then why I left Grand Valley State. Because there's a lot of people in Spartan Nation who either say, you know, I just completely bombed bombed out of Grand Valley State because I wasn't good (laughs) enough, which, you know, is not the case at all because, you know, they recruited me for a reason. But, you know, I left for certain reasons too. And now everybody who reads the book gets to hear the reasons why I left Grand Valley State other than to, you know, live my dream on Michigan State. So, you know, so it's basically about my life story. Um, and it's something that I want the autism community to look at and know that, you know, anything is possible despite being on the autism spectrum and also showing society what an individual with autism can do despite having all these social issues on and off the court as well. So where are you at with the book now? And has it been sort of like therapeutic in any way looking back? Uh, on your life, uh, you know, writing can be a lonely experience. Like just what has that been like for you kind of digging back into those and working on the book? Yeah. So right now we're in the process of, um, you know, finishing up the manuscript or rereading it right now, just going over a few things, um, to see what, you know, minor or major changes we want to make. And then hopefully by the end of the week or early next week, we'll send it off to uh, Indiana University Press, who's my publisher, and they'll go through the editing process. We've already sent them out about six, seven uh, photos that we could potentially use as the cover photo for the book. Um, and then we're just getting other photos together right now. So so the process right now is just, you know, basically trying to get it ready, um, get it in book, get it into book form uh, for next year. Um, so it's the fun part right now. But, you know, it's funny because, you know, the last 24 hours I've had to like reread like the first 19 chapters. And, you know, there's there's about 29 chapters. So it's going to be about anywhere between 250 to 300 page book. Um, But just going through each chapter, you know, and just kind of like just thinking about everything that happened in my childhood and just bringing Mm -hmm. up these these memories of good memories from the Oklahoma's high school basketball days, uh, how much fun I had in high school for, during my junior year and even my senior year. And then there's the not so good memories that I did as a kid, like, you know, trying to pretend that I'm Curly from the Three Stooges in middle school to try mm-hmm. and, you know, reenact the things he did and the jokes he did in front of my classmates to kind of make me think that, okay, if I make people laugh, they're going to think I'm the co- I-, I could be, be one of the cool kids in school. But then looking back on it, when I got to high school, all right, they really weren't laughing with me. They were laughing at me. And so so it's some things like that in the book that I look at and go, oh, man, like it, it, this gets like a really bad pit in my stomach reading mm-hmm. this. But at the same time, when other people read it, they're going to they're going to read and kind of feel my pain a little bit about what I went through. But at the same time, it's going to help them understand 
why I did some of the things and why other individuals on the spectrum may almost do the exact same things that I try to do. And so yesterday, while teasing the show and having you on, uh, I introduced it with saying, I will have the, the first autistic basketball player on and will stopped me, corrected me and said, no, he is a basketball player with autism because it's not the defining characteristics. So first off, apologies for just simply not knowing any better. Um, second off, like what are other terms that people should know or how to handle that? Like that kind of, um, I guess, characteristic with with uh, people with autism. Well, it's funny you say that, Matt, and like so many people use the phrase in so many different ways. Like I've heard, I mean, like you said, you've, I mean, there are people who have said, you know, the first autistic basketball player in Division One college basketball history. Some people have used the first Division One college basketball player with an autism diagnosis. And so gotcha. I know there are some, fo- so you could say either way. Um, so, so, it, so you're really okay saying it, you know, first autistic basketball player. <laughs> so however you want to say it, but, <laughs> but, but I know there are some individuals in the autism community that don't like the word autistic. And then there are some people out there who go, well, I'm proud to be autistic. And so, gotcha. so I say it in so many different ways. Like I say autism, I say autistic because, mm-hmm. you know, autism is autism. Like you can't like you can't get around that because the because ma- the spectrum is so massive. Like there's a high end, there's mm-hmm. a low end, and what's really great about the spectrum, you guys, is that each and every single individual on that spectrum is so unique in their own way, and they're also mm-hmm. very talented in their own way. Because that's the one thing society tends to forget about an individual with autism on the is that no matter where they're at on the spectrum they are very, very talented individuals and they're very unique. And, you know, right after I graduated from high school, you know, Coach Izzo and I were having a conversation um, after I graduated because I was telling him how I was hired by um, an autism nonprofit organization in Detroit to do what I'm doing. You know, I'm not there anymore. I'm with Department of Civil Rights. But uh, when I was hired, you know, Coach Izzo and I were talking about it and and he said to me, he said, you know, AI, you know, I got a neighbor who has a son with autism. He's very low functioning. But with, what's really great about him is that he's a great painter. And he's had like all these paintings of his hung up in the East Lansing Art Museum the last few years. Mm-hmm. And I, told him, I said, coach, I said, that's the problem is that people look at autism and they think it's just a label or they think of autism and go, oh, this individual is not going to be successful because you know, they have these characteristics. And but I told coach, I said, that's the problem. Society doesn't give us a chance. But that's proof right there that no matter where you're at on the spectrum, you are very unique and talented in your own way. And that's why I'm proud to represent, you know, the 5 million people in our country with autism, because they all have their own unique, successful ways. And they also are on the spectrum. And so but it's also on me to make sure that I saw that I show society why they should give us a chance, why the individuals with autism should have a a chance to succeed at what they want to succeed in life, no matter what the obstacles are. We'll be right back with more from Anthony in just a hot second. But first, a word for Built Bar. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. I've told you this. Matt's told you this. We cannot tell you this enough. Built Bar is as good as it gets in the protein bar game. And thanks to everyone who's been sending us pictures of their orders from Built Bar. It's awesome to know that you guys are joining in with us and that uh, you guys all agree. Like these things absolutely rock. They are incredible. They're low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber, like the peanut butter brownie flavor, 20 grams of protein, 170 calories, three grams sugar, three grams of net carbs. Like that's, those numbers are just insane. And right now, Built Bar is doing uh, some really cool stuff. They are liquidating 
what they've got in terms of bars, assets. They are getting rid of them. It is a huge sale. Go to BuiltBar.com and you can get up to 50% off on whatever you get. If you They've got different tiers. You buy two boxes, you get 20% off or whatever it is. And you can get up to 50% off as they're just getting rid of of these bars for a new and improved formula. And frankly, I don't know how they're going to possibly improve on it, but they say they're going to, and I believe them. BuiltBar.com is where you need to go to check out these amazing deals. BuiltBar.com. And we are also brought to you by Mima Remedies, our friends at Mima. We love talking about them. Mima Remedies is a CBD company that provides full-spectrum CBD, hemp, oil, and flour. It's owned and operated by Michigan State alums and residents of our great state of Michigan. We love supporting our Michiganders. We love supporting our Spartans. So you can do that with Mima Remedies. Their products have no additives, no flavoring. It is the legit, true, full-on, organically grown hemp product. Uh, and it's just, it's clean. It's You don't have to worry about reading the side labels and like, oh, it's got this weird thing in it. Do I have to worry about this? No. You don't have to worry about that with Mima. All their products are third-party lab-tested, always below 0.3 THC. Mima Remedies is celebrating making high-quality CBD products right here in Michigan with you, their first harvest in the state, and they're passing on some savings to you. Go to MimaRemedies.com, M-I-M-A, Remedies.com. Use promo code LOCKEDON, and you'll get 25% off your order. That's MimaRemedies.com, promo code LOCKEDON, all one word, and you'll get 25% off your order. If you're looking for high-quality CBD products from a brand you can trust, Bima is a match made in Michigan. I want to ask about you growing up, being a young kid. Like, How old were you when... You were diagnosed, maybe you don't quite remember, but what do you remember from your childhood just uh, either being a little bit different than other kids or what doctors may have said about you or just what it was like when you were sort of figuring out yourself and figuring out like, okay, I'm on the spectrum, I have autism. What was that like for you growing up? So I was diagnosed when I was four, which was in 93. And what's what's really unique, you guys, about that time period is you know, if you were diagnosed with autism during that time period, it was very rare because that was more of the ADD and ADHD era for diagnosis. So, mm-hmm. and there was, that was also a time period for autism where there was nothing. There was no, no path, no guidance. There was zero resources for it. You know, flash forward to 17 years later, like, you know, in the year 2020, there's so many resources and occupational therapies and ABA therapies that these families around the country can help their child or um, individual that they know with autism use. And it's, and it's a great help. But during that time, like there was no path or guidance for my parents to help me get to that point. But, you know, I just remember as a kid, you know, if my mom were to tell me, give me an instruction. If she were to tell me to go put a toy away in the toy box, I would come back with more toys, you know? So, so if she asked me to do one thing, I do the complete opposite. And she kind of knew that just wasn't right. Um, you know, and this is something else that people will read about in the book that, you know, arenas, I, I could bear, I, I I didn't, I barely went to Michigan state football and basketball games Mm -hmm. as a five-year-old because just the sound, the lights, the crowd, and the, and, the, and the buzzer on the scoreboard was just too much of an overload for me. Like, I wanted to leave those games early because it was just too much of an overload for me. And I just remember having my, my head in my mom's lap and my hands over my ears. Uh, fire drills were my worst for me, too. Like, they would just scare me, like, freak me out. Like, the lights and the noise, I hated it. 
Same thing with tornado drills. And so so a lot of kids kind of looked at that and like, why is he scared of just a little noise? Why why doesn't he like, you know, going to Michigan State games? And and we got some we got some weird looks from fans at games that saw me throw temper tantrums or just mm-hmm. you know have wig out moments. And so you know, and that's the other thing I want people to understand is that, you know, some individuals on the spectrum is too much of an overload for them sometimes. You know, the environments around them is too much. So they got to have like those, you know, whether it's bringing like headphones or whether it's just listening to music or watching the iPads during games, like they need something comfortable to make sure that they stay calm, which, you know, which is why I would love to see Michigan State put in like a sensory room at the Breslin Center you know, in the future, because, you know, I I have families that say to me, you know, we want to be part of Michigan State's atmosphere, but our son or daughter can't handle it. And having a room like that would be incredible. You know, it'd be a way for those families to be a part of our, you know, atmosphere and and be a part of Michigan State. Um, I really didn't find out, Will, about me being on the autism spectrum until I was 14 years old. Okay. So I was 14. Um, Because when I was in middle school, I was in a resource I was in a resource room classroom from middle school all the way till I graduated from high school. So when I was in middle school, I was in a in my resource room. There were different, there were all different types of different students in there who had different learning disabilities. Um, or that we had kids who um, were in special education classrooms in there with us too. So, um, so I knew that I had a learning disability, but I didn't know what it was. And then about a week before my freshman year at Oklahoma's high school started, my mom and dad called me in the living room and said, you know, we want to talk to you. And that's when they told me the story about how doctors and professionals told them that because I have autism, I would barely graduate from high school, never go to college, never be an athlete and end up in a group institution with uh, with other autistic kids like I'm like myself for the rest of my life. And I I remember yeah. <laughs> very wrong indeed <laughs> but, so, so so i remember i remember just sitting there on the couch thinking to myself like who would say this about a five-year-old yeah who, who would say this about a five-year-old student who you know had his moments had some you know some quirks about him that, had, that he did things that was just out of the ordinary said things that was out of the ordinary didn't learn a lot of my numbers and counting yet. So just because I was a slow learner, like, why would you say those things? Like, how can you make a prediction like that? And so, so I remember, you know, after having the conversation with my parents about it, I went back to um, our den because I was, I was just watching a baseball game. This was during the summertime. So, and I remember I had the TV on and then I muted the TV and I kind of just leaned forward on the couch about 30 seconds of silence. And then I, then I said to myself, all right, let's go shut some people up. Let, let's go. Let's go yeah. prove the world wrong. Let's go show these folks why they are dead wrong about your future. And so but a, after I learned about my diagnosis, you know, I had this checklist in my head, the checklist of, all right, graduate high school, get a full right scholarship for basketball somewhere, preferably Michigan State, and then mm-hmm. graduate from college. And so. And then once I got to college, I started to learn more about what autism was, you know, what it is, what the spectrum is, you know, how many people have it. And then, you know, it, you know, so I started to learn more about myself, too, so I could help others learn more about me as well. That's awesome. And uh, Anthony, I, Annie, I'm sorry if I've ever called you I, Annie. Uh, I uh, truly apologize. It's Anthony, I, Annie. <laughs> Tell you right now, I, ha- I had a conversation with um, with Audrey Dahlgren about this, and she asked me the question, "How do you say it? is that is it Iani or Iani?" And I was like, 
I was like, well, blame Tim Stout. He started calling us Ayani when we moved. So, I'm not going to complain. You can say Ayani, Ayani. As long as it's not Ionia, then you're good to go. Sure, okay. <laughs> I was going to say Anthony Ayani uh, with his memoir centered coming out next fall, just to refresh a people's memory right there. Um, just to go on your playing days, but even before East Lansing, even before you got to Grand Valley, just as a youth sports athlete, with your diagnosis, what were the, some of the struggles that you would have on the playing field or off the playing field just with your, your teammates in the arena of sports? Well, definitely off the court, it was the joking. Um, okay. You know, because me being on the spectrum, I'm very black and white. So what that means is, is that one of you guys may say something to me and I'll just take the complete opposite. And growing up, I had a tough time understanding nouns, verbs, idioms, sarcasm, jokes. Gotcha. So. That was probably one of my big biggest weakness off the court was the jokes and the sarcasm in the locker room. Um, but, you know, luckily for me, like if, if the joking went too far, or the sarcasm went a little too far, I, I, had, I had great teammates in Jonathan Jones and Mike Emerson who I can lean on to and go, you know, hey, JJ, will you tell so-and-so just kind of just ease off? And then, and then Jonathan would look at me and go, hey, yeah, no problem. I got you, you know. And, and But that's the kind of team camaraderie we had. Like we would joke with each other, but – if it went a little too far, I wasn't afraid just to lean on somebody and say, hey, man, will you just tell so-and-so to cool it? And and that's how it was with me. Now, on the court, you know, my biggest struggle was kind of learning plays. Like, if they were to call out, you know, if they called out, like, 14, like, I know what that play is. But, like, if we went through, like, a bunch of plays at the same time, like, and I got confused, I was not afraid to walk up to Coach, Stolt, uh, coach Stoltz, our head coach at Oklahoma, or Carter Briggs, our assistant coach, who was my post coach, and ask them, hey, what did you mean by this? You told me to go set a down screen. Where do you want me to set it at? Okay, well, that didn't quite make sense. Can you show me? And then they would take me off to the sideline and just kind of walk through the play with me. Gotcha. And so so obviously, like for me, even in the classroom, I was a really slow learner. Like I didn't – I wasn't like a straight-A student where I could just learn things within 30 seconds and then like get it on the fly. Like no, like I had to take things – step by step, second by second, minute by minute, process by process. And that's kind of how it was with basketball. Like I kind of had to take things one step at a time. So, but once I got the play down, you know, I was good to go. But if I had questions, I wasn't afraid to ask them. We will be right back in just a hot second with more from Anthony Ayani. Looking forward to that. The Locked On Podcast Network stands against racism and social injustice. That's why we, the hosts, are making personal donations to local and national organizations that are fighting for change. It's really cool. All like Pretty much every host across the net- network, 200-plus hosts, uh, are picking different charities, different organizations that they want to donate to. Matt and I are going to do that as well. And in the month of June, the company Locked On is matching the total of all host donations up to $10,000. It's really cool, uh, really special to be a part of. To make your own donation, you can visit LockedOnPodcast.com slash Black Lives Matter. Anthony, you mentioned earlier an anecdote, and I, I forget where I read it, but I read it before about you imitating a Three Stooge and you know, uh, kids in school laughing at you, sort of the, the bullying that went along with that. And I'm sure that crept into high school as well. Uh, all of us being former high school students know how cruel high school kids can be. I'm wondering oh, yeah. if as your athleticism started to develop and as you started to become more confident on the basketball court and someone who is turning heads, 
potentially a college player in, in that rise. What was it like off the court? Were things getting easier for you? Was it still uh, harder to learn, to socialize, to just sort of, I, I guess, do everyday high school stuff? Was it still difficult for you or did you know sports kind of help bridge the gap for you a little bit? I think sports definitely helped me. Um, obviously, my freshman year, it was very, very difficult because, you know, as a freshman, when you walk into high school, you know, you're dealing with a whole different world. And yeah. <laughs> you know, during that during that time period in Okemos, there were two middle schools. It was Kennewa and Chippewa Middle School. I mean, now, now Kennewa is a 5-6 building and Chippewa is a 7-8 building. But, you know, because of our how big our school district was at the time, you know, there were two middle schools. And so, you know, I played basketball with a lot of guys from Kennewa with travel with junior pro and travel ball in the summer, but I wasn't classmates with those guys until we got to high school. So it was just interesting just to kind of like figure out, like, you know, kind of getting your feet wet in high school. But there were still a lot of people who disrespected me, knew about some of the things I did in middle school. They tried to remind me about that. And it was so hard for me not to listen to that. Um, but then my sophomore year of high school, you know, things took, you know, things took a very interesting turn because um, that summer I had played my first summer of AAU basketball with the Michigan Mustangs. Mm-hmm. And so about about a week or two before school started, my uncle who lives in um, Fort Worth, Texas, he sent my dad an email. He said, you need to check this out. Congratulations to Anthony. And I was like, what is he sending us? And so it was from uh, MichiganRivals.com and they had came out with like, the top guards and centers for the class of 2005 and then 2006. Mm-hmm. And then you got down to 2007. You know, I went through the point guards and I got to the centers. And who was the number one center for the class of 2007 that summer? It was me. You know, <laughs> that, that, that's a true story. Like nobody yeah. really knows, nobody knows that story except, you know, <laughs> for a few of my close friends and family. But I saw that and I was like, you know, I was excited because that's why all my hard work did for basketball that whole summer yeah, but my, but like my dad, you know, the wise man that he is, he looks at me and says, you know, hey, it, this is a great rec- this is a great honor, great recognition, but it doesn't mean anything. You know, you can lose that number one spot tomorrow, and never people will forget about it. And so I go to school, and the respect and word of mouth got out that I was the number one center in the state. And so, and then I go from disrespect, reminding me about what happened in middle school, to getting respect getting props from people. And I'm just like, so I was like, where did this come from? And so, but it, it was amazing how sports and basketball just turned that around for me. But I think it also showed uh, folks in Okemos high school and in my community, just how hard I was working and just how I yeah. wasn't going to let anybody's words try to bring me down. Because I, if somebody got to me, I wouldn't have gotten to that point in basketball. So their words, you know, were, were just throwing gasoline on my fire you know Mm -hmm. the more and more words they threw at me the more fired up i got the more focused i got and the more i just wanted to prove people wrong so but i am super grateful for what basketball did for me because it took me from a low point uh, you know took me from a low point in my life and then just kept bringing me up each and every single day because of the hard work i put in it I, I love that. That's a Spartan dog mentality right there. I'm just using it to, to fuel the fire. That's, that's big. Fire. Man. <laughs> and, I, and, you know, to kind of go along with that. So just to go back 14 years old, then you heard the adoption experts say that you'll struggle in high school, might not go to college, might not be an athlete. But then you fast forward four years and here you are graduating high school. You have a basketball scholarship. I mean, 
What was the feeling like when you kind of reached that finish line before you started college? Was it like a super emotional moan for you or was it just kind of like, yeah, I knew I'd do this. Like, this is just what you do. Like, what, what was that like for you at the end of high school as you're heading to college? It was very satisfying because, you know, again, I got to a point in my life where, you know, nobody knew whether or not I would even make it out of high school. And so when I got my high school degree, I was excited because that was just that was just step one you know, the checklist I had in my head. Mm-hmm. And then when I committed to Grand Valley State in the fall of 2006, you know, again, I was like, this is exciting, but there's still more work to be done. You know, I got to finish off my high school season the way I wanted to. I want to get back to the Breslin Center. I want to get back and try to get redemption and win a state championship, which we didn't get that opportunity. But, um, you know, I was just satisfied. But I knew I had a longer road ahead of me. So I couldn't get you know, I was excited, but I didn't want to get to the point where I was overexcited, where I would lose my focus. And so, cause I knew I had a long road ahead of me and I, it was really unknown too, Matt, because, you know, going to Grand Valley state, I knew the coaches, I knew my future teammates and uh, freshman classmates that committed to play with me at Grand Valley state. I knew some of the administration, but I didn't know anybody there. I didn't know who else was going other than, you know, some of the freshman teammates I got to know. Yeah. So it was a, it was a long road ahead but at the same time, you know, when I got that full, when I got that full ride scholarship to Grand Valley State, when I got my high school degree, you know, I, I was satisfied and excited because I completed two, two parts of my life that I wanted to achieve. And now the big thing I wanted to do next was just get my college degree no matter what. And you would eventually get that degree at Michigan State. And it had always been a dream of yours to play at MSU, um, to play for Tom Izzo. Can you just describe and, and we'll get into some of the uh, different dynamics uh, of your time at MSU but what was it like the first time you put on the uniform and ran out under the Breslin center floor you know other than the day that I married my wife um, and the day I had my two sons my two sons were born putting on that uniform and running out of that tunnel to our fight song was maybe one of the greatest maybe one of the greatest moments of my life because you know, and I say this with all due respect because I know there's, you know, as you guys know, as diehard Spartans, we there there have been so many great Michigan State players of the past, just guys that you love watching growing up, guys like mm-hmm. Antonio Smith, guys like Charlie Bell, Jay Rich, you know, Zach Randolph, you know, Drew Neitzel, Chris Hill. I mean, I'll, I'll throw Draymond in there. You know, I'm not biased toward him, right? <laughs> um, but you know. I don't think there was anybody that took more pride in throwing on that uniform and running out of that tunnel to the fight song than me, because I love, I I mean, you guys know this and a lot of people know this. I love Michigan state more than anything. You know, I root for every single sport that's at Michigan state, you know, whether it's rowing, softball, cross country, track and field, like I'm rooting for us to be successful because that's how much I love Michigan state. You know, I want our university to be the best at what they do in everything, whether it's science, engineering, like everything. And so when I when I got in the locker room the year I could play, because with the year I transferred, I couldn't play. So, you know, I got to wear the jersey, but it was just for media day and midnight madness. That was it. But then the day I got the year I got to play and then we played Saginaw Valley State, I walked in the locker room and there's my jersey hanging there. And I sat down, I took the jersey off the locker and I just held it. Like, this is for real. Like, this is what you've always wanted to do, dream and accomplishing. You're doing this. 
And then when we broke the huddle and we ran out in the court to the fight song, I always got chills because there was no bigger honor. You know, I mean, there's, there's no bigger honor than wearing a Michigan State uniform and running out, whether it's the Spartan Stadium, Jenison Field House, Mon Arena, or the Brez, and having your fight song just blast as you come out for warm-ups. There's no better honor than that. All right, thanks so much to uh, you guys for listening. Thanks to Anthony again for joining us. We will be back tomorrow, Wednesday. We're going Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday this week. Uh, We're going to finish this thing up strong. We'll get into more of Anthony's time at MSU, what it felt like uh, to be part of the the prep uh, rally, pep pep rally, not prep rally, the pep rally after going to the Final Four, how he got into public speaking, motivational speaking, and all that jazz. Uh, It's really fantastic uh a great interview and i'm looking forward to uh showing you guys the second half of that on wednesday's episode reminded to rate review and subscribe to the podcast you can find locked on spartans wherever you get your podcast we will see you tomorrow